Beloved, I am your transitional pastor, Mike Sherritt. Such an enormous privilege to have this season with you and my bride, Janice. Do get to know her. She's clearly the better half. And uh, she wants to engage uh, with you, the women's Bible study, etc. So we're so, so grateful to have this time. I'm going to start this morning a mini-series, don't know how exactly long it's going to go, on humility. Now, if you're thinking, well, he thinks our church needs that right now, (laughs) that's true and false. We all need to hear tirelessly about humility, me the foremost. And if I had five, six, seven last sermons to preach in my life, they would be on humility. So this isn't directed just at you. It's for all of us. Is that, is that clear? Good. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Jesus speaking. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If there was something inside of you that you weren't aware of that was terribly bad for you, would you want to know about it? Of course. This is why some of us go to the doctor annually for a checkup. So step with me into my annual checkup to meet with my doctor, come into the doctor's office. Doctor says, Mike, how you doing? Great, thank you. Well, let me ask you a few questions. Mike, why is it that you bristle defensively when your wife challenges or corrects you? Mike, why in all the prayers you've offered have you prayed so infrequently to grow in humility and for God to expose your pride? Mike, why is it easy for you to focus on others' sins while somehow overlooking your own? Mike, why are you slow to admit fault or failure and resist invitations to self-critique? Mike, the other day when you were driving down Interstate 64 and some guy was tailgating you when you were so furious at him, but yet five miles down the road, you justified yourself for doing the same thing. Doc, what's the diagnosis? Mike, your spiritual heart is producing too many pride cells and not enough humility cells. You're not working the way God made you to work. He didn't build you for pride, but for humility. Doc, what do I do about it? Mike, Jesus has a question for you to keep you from killing yourself and others around you. The question is, verse 3 in your text. 
Why do you notice the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't see the log in your own eye? Let's appreciate the context briefly. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' extensive teaching on the relational contours of spiritual vitality. Notice how he begins this section in verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. Now, quick sidebar. Are we to judge people's behavior? Of course. You can't love people without a standard identifying what is good for them and bad for them, and the law of God clearly tells us the standards which make human flourishing possible. Of course we judge behavior. Jesus is saying you can't judge their heart. You can't judge their motives. You really don't know, oh, that was defensive. Oh, that was self-protective. Oh, that was controlling. That was manipulative, even if you're pretty sure they were. And then he gives you an incentive, a pretty strong incentive. Verse 2, with the judgment you use, it'll be judged to you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, judging other hearts is so precarious because of what? You have blinders. You have blind spots. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that's in someone's eye and don't notice the log in your own? <clears throat> what an amazing image. And it's so amazing we're going to spend two sermons on that verse. So I want to ask these questions of that image. Why can you see specks in others' eyes and somehow, inconceivably, not notice your own logs? Does that make you want to say, let's dig into that? Okay, yeah, it makes me want to say that. So let's dig in. Number one. Why do you and I minimize our own faults and magnify the sins of others? So this is a gift from Jesus. This is a diagnostic tool that creates a window into your own heart. Jesus wants you to see what's otherwise not readily visible, and that is pride arrogance, a critical spirit, a sense of being superior to others. What are logs? Logs are any way that you fail to love God and love others. Logs are any manifestations of your pride. And Jesus is saying, when you notice the faults of others, you can't help but notice them. People's personality their mannerisms, their words, their attitudes, their, their thoughts. You can't help but notice those things. When you do, it becomes an occasion to ask yourself, am I as ruthlessly critical of myself as I am of others? When was the last time you asked yourself that question? Contemplated that. Am I more interested in helping them or condemning them? Because think about it. If I'm focused on your specs, I have to, by definition, look past my logs because you can't simultaneously focus on a far and a near object at the same time. So focusing on what's wrong with you 
of necessity shrinks my own sense of awareness of what's wrong with me? That's the first question. Second question, what motivates you to not notice your logs? I mean, you would think it would be easier for me to see logs than to see your specs. You would think it would be easier. So there's something going on in my heart that would motivate this. I have to guess here because the text doesn't tell us. It seems to me that when I'm obsessing on others' failures, faults, and foibles, I'm creating a kind of firm moral ground on which to stand to make myself feel, you finish the sentence, better about myself. And when I'm focused on what's wrong with somebody else, I might be shielding myself from the painful discovery of the junk within me that I don't want to confront. And you might not know what to do with your logs. You might not know how to change. So I'm guessing that there's, so, there's something driving our ability to look past our own faults and focus on others' faults. When we notice other specks, Jesus is saying, it's time to ask some soul-searching questions, such as, where am I lying to myself about who I really am? When was the last time you asked yourself that question? Could those specks that so irritate me in that guy's eyes actually be reflections of logs in my own that I don't see? One famous Bible commentator, uh, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, in, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, wrote this. When a person has truly seen himself, he never judges anybody else in the wrong way. Once you first judge yourself, first judge yourself, then you'll have accurate sight to judge others. If you won't first judge yourself, it proves you're really not interested in judgment. Third question, what are we doing? We're, we're looking at this provocative image Jesus has given you for your good. And we're, 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 we're trying to pierce into it by asking a series of questions. Third question is, will you deal honestly with your logs. See, Jesus Christ is more committed to your thriving than you are. He wants you overflowing with joy, confidence, peace, rest. He wants you savoring the love you've sung about all through this service thus far. Nobody is more committed to you being intoxicated with his boundless grace. And so Jesus is saying the discovery of other people's faults becomes an occasion to ask yourself what question? Could that be me? Okay, who's the person we like to use when we really need to say we're never really that bad of a person? Hitler. Could you have been Hitler? Yes, but for the grace of God. So that person that irritates you, could that be you? Two illustrations from my life. For decades, I sat in judgment on a person that I knew who seemed to me made everything about money. And then this realization came to me, oh my goodness, I do the same thing. 
I spec-focused and was log-blinded. Another illustration. We had kids grow up in Little League, youth sports and all that. I coached some of them some of the time. And for years, I noticed those ugly parents who berated their kids. Johnny struck out with the game on the line. You saw dad just, you know what I'm talking about? I sat in judgment on them only to come to the realization one day, that's me. This is a really helpful question to put in your holster, not only when you're reading the Bible, but when you notice what's wrong with other people. Could that be me? When you realize it is, run to Jesus. Run into his lap. Sit there until he washes you with his grace, fills you with confidence in his affection for you, causes you to sense there's nothing better in life than his love. And in that sense of security, you can pray with David, the end of Psalm 139. You can pray this earnestly with security that you'll never be condemned. Search me, O God, know my heart, try my anxious thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me. What's he saying? David, before he knew it, was saying, Lord, show me my logs. Fourth question. Are you engaging in the battle for pride and humility in your heart? I believe this about you, beloved, you followers of Jesus. You want to thrive spiritually. You want to be a part of a church family where people love, serve, defer to one another, encourage one another, bear with one another. I believe you want to know God truly. You want to know yourself truly. You want to escape the perils of self-deception. I believe that about you. And for that to happen, what must you come to grips with? This battle raging inside of you between pride and humility. It's a lifelong battle. Let me give you some definitions at this point. How should you think about what humility is? Think about it as a lens through which you interpret everything. Now, every human being, whether you believe in God, you're a follower of Christ or not, everyone interprets their life, reality, events, everyone interprets how they live through some lens. We call that a worldview. And Jesus is giving you in this text, and of course the entire Bible does, a lens through which to make sense out of success, your relationships, your work, not least what's wrong with other people. And that lens is the lens of, hum of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. What is mercy? It's a justice concept. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What do you deserve, beloved? Everlasting condemnation apart from the presence of God in unspeakable agony. It's what you deserve. All of us do. And guess what? Jesus took that for you on the cross. Mercy Every day you wake up, you put on the mercy lens, you go, oh, you haven't given me what I deserve. And the other lens is grace. God has gifted you, lavished upon you far more than you deserve, right? Every breath in your lungs, every beating of your heart. Let's start very basically. God is keeping you alive. 
everything you have. I mean, to be born in a country like this at a time like this, we're so privileged, so blessed. It's just, it should overwhelm us. So Jesus is saying the only way to thrive spiritually, the only way to healthily deal with the foibles of others is to wake up every morning with this lens. God's been merciful to me. He's not giving me what I deserve. God has been gracious to me. He's given me far more than I deserve. Let me see if I can illustrate this from an experience in my life pretty recently, and that is we had a tree stump about this tall in our backyard that needed to be cut down. It was very dead. It had some old Christmas lights wrapped around it. <laughs> That's what you do with the dead tree stump. You wrap with Christmas light. Okay. So they're long gone. So I'm cutting this thing down. I'm standing in the pack of Sandra. That's a ground cover. You probably have some outside the church. Right, you know, right there in the, in the backyard. <laughs> I'm picking the, you know, the wires out of the pack of Sandra in this. I finally make my last cut. I step back, and there on the grass is a copperhead. For those of you who don't know, that's a poisonous snake. It's about four feet long. It obviously came right out from where I was standing. Where I was putting my hands. I had this, uh, uh, this, this sense, this feeling, oh my goodness, God protected me. I mean, right, humanly, I deserve to have been bitten. I'm standing right there. I didn't expect a snake this close to... I just, I was delivered. I was relieved. I was all there. I was thankful. I was overcome with God's protective kindness. And I said, oh, I never want to lose that feeling because that's what it means to be spiritually healthy. God has not given me what I deserve. God has given me far than I deserve. So I got the shovel, killed it, and we went on with our business. Just in case you're wondering. It just, it's what Adam and Eve should have done in the garden with the serpent. So, beloved, there's a battle raging within you. There's a battle. Will you be, will I be controlled by the Spirit of Jesus, whose jealous desire every moment of every day is to produce in you humility, other-centeredness, joy, peace, love, a deferring? We'll, we'll tease this out more as we go through the series. Or will you complacently rest not engaging that battle and allow self-promotion, self-protection, self-justification, self-absorption rule your heart. What, look, what, let me state the obvious. Why is it so important to engage in this battle? God is too lovely, people too important to be reviewed, to be viewed through log-blurred eyes. Right? Yes, yes. Here's what's ironic, and, and I'll move on to the last point. Here's what's ironic. The thing that most beautifies your heart, humility, you least desire, naturally. The thing that most soils your heart, pride, you least detect. That's why we need his word. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we've got to do the work together in our own devotions, in our worship, etc. Last, last question. How are you solving the problem of your logs? Do you believe that your logs are a problem? If not, we'll start the sermon over and I'll, I'll take a different tact. No. Your logs are a problem. Here, here, here's my logs. I'm standing here and the other side of the Grace Covenant property is there. And my logs are between 
the gods on the other side, and my logs are probably, what, a thousand feet tall? In God's moral universe, sin inexorably separates you from God. It, do, it does. And we all have this record. Some of you are younger. You don't have as many logs as I do. But I have trillions of logs that separate me from God. Now look, there's an impulse in the human heart that says the way to do, the way to handle this is to try to be a good person, to do the right thing, to love others, to go to church, to give at church, to serve at church, as if doing good things and trying to stay away from bad will somehow eliminate the logs. It will not. Nothing a human being can do can get rid of the logs. There's one man who can take away your logs, and that's the man who had no logs. Not even a speck. The Lord Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 years, and no one could find a speck in his eye. He loved his father and his law flawlessly for every nanosecond of his life. And he sees everything with moral clarity. And he sees your logs and my logs. And he has every right to do what? Judge us. And instead, he asked his father to be judged on our place for our logs. Beloved, there is a log outside of Jerusalem that 2,000 years ago was strong enough and powerful enough and efficacious enough to take all of your logs, all the wrath do your sin. Jesus Christ died a death sufficient to take away all your logs. Stunning. And so for the person who says to Jesus, I want to be with God. I want to be right. I want to be clean. I want to be in your paradise forever. I want to be as righteous as Jesus. Jesus says, Father, let all those logs crush me on the cross. And they did. And you trust that, you believe that, you rest upon that. God makes a promise, you say, I believe if you promise, that was for me. And here's what's amazing. In that cold, ruthless, horrifying act of Jesus being crushed under your logs, there is a love and a warmth that bursts forth that melts pride and that creates humility. And it's interesting, at the end, the very, very end of Jesus' life, we see an example of this. There was a man hanging next to Jesus on the cross. And he said to the other thief who was full of pride, he said, we're getting what we deserve. He's seeing Jesus through the lens of mercy. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He wants grace. And Jesus said, what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Could that be me?